integrated and all of that. It's a vital role and uh, it's just something that I'm not good at. It just so happens that Jamie has been doing this job for years in CFC in Belfast and in another church in England. And so I drew up the job description um, before I went away and I said to the trustees and, uh, and Glenn, who's the chair of the trustees, well, I'm away, would you interview Jamie? They had been encouraging me to form this role for a while. I'd been a little bit hesitant, but eventually I said, look, we need this. I asked the trustees to interview Jamie. They were uh, overwhelmingly positive and supportive. And so from this week, Jamie is coming on staff as our connections pastor. He'll be working 22 hours a week for the church. And uh, it's a real exciting development. I, I'd love us to get involved in small groups and just helping to foster more relationships, strong, godly relationships uh, inside the church. And so I am thrilled today to announce that Jamie Bombrick is, is starting with us as our Connections Pastor. If you haven't met Jamie and Danny and uh, their little boy and the other one that's on the way, uh, get to know them. They're just wonderful people. I haven't known them for years, and that's why I didn't want to be part of the interview, because I've known Jamie for many years and have the utmost regard for him. But I wanted the trustees to come to the same conclusion as I have, and they have done that. They have affirmed his gifting and his character. And uh, we look forward to seeing what God does through his ministry among us. Right, I think that is everything. We're going to pray. We're going to be in the Word of God. Um, Let's pray together. There's something I just have really felt that God wants me to, to speak on this morning. So, but I need the Holy Spirit's help really badly because I came home from holidays at tea time last night. Father God, thank you that you take account of our weaknesses. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me strength because your word says that when we are weak, you are strong. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill my mind, fill each of our hearts to receive your word Lord, I, I know today might be a hard message for some people. But Lord, you do not want to hurt us. You want to heal us. Lord, your word comes as a double-edged sword, but it's not to hurt, but to heal. And so, Lord, I pray that we would find just the ability to put aside some things and to hear what the Spirit is saying to the people of God today. Amen. Oh, man. One of the things that I pride myself on is I, I'm a planner. I, 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 some of you might find that uh, unusual, but I, I like to be organized. Like, I, 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 it comes out in various ways. When I'm going on holidays, I have the folder. Anybody else like that? The folder with everything printed out? Yeah, I see that hand, yeah. I, uh, I, you know, I like, and everything's in order, and everything's printed out. And I, so I've got the first page will be the car park at the airport. The next page will be the the flight tickets, the the, the, the boarding passes. The next one will be the the transport to the hotel. The next one will be the check in, and everything is in order. And I, I love that. I love having everything in order. I, I you know, I know uh, how we're going to get. I know uh, what the temperature is going to be like when we get there. I, I I know what will be served in the restaurant. I, I love to do everything. I love to do everything about what's going to happen. I, I'm just a planner. I'm a planner. I like to have everything sorted out. And then some of you are planners. Many of you are planners. Then there's wingers. <laughs> wingers wing it. How many of you are wingers? Yeah. 
wingers arrive in a destination. They arrive at the airport. They're not sure what time the flight's at, but they're hoping that some plane will be taken off to take them somewhere. They get to the other side, and they know there's a room or a shack booked somewhere, but they'll get there. And, 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 and wingers just wing it. It's just there's too much detail. And, uh, and you know, here's what wingers do. Do you know what wingers do? They marry planners. <laughs> Isn't that right? Every couple almost has one or the other one. They marry planners because it's just too much stress for wingers to worry about. The planner will... And my wife has said to me, I love it. For 13 years, I book every holiday. She just... You know what? I, I, I'll tell her what time we're leaving at. I'll normally say an hour early. Um, and, uh, and so I, I pride myself on being a planner. And when we were flying out of Dublin two weeks ago, we had to be... Our flight was at 9.30. We had to be up at 4, drive down. We were there at 5. Everything just went so smoothly in Dublin Airport. We got to the other side. And I, just everything for the two weeks just went so smooth. And I was just feeling a little bit smug. Because I'm a planner. And I, planners love it when... Plans come together, and my wife will tell, oh, Craig, we're so grateful for how you, and it makes me feel like, I feel like a champ, I feel like, you know, and uh, I feel like I'm just the best husband and father in the world. And, uh, and we were coming back then, and I had checked the board, or checked the times, I checked 9.30, I thought that's strange, we left at 9.30 from Dublin, we're coming back at 9.30 from Portugal, but he said, this was, I said, no, no, I've checked it three or four times, and yesterday morning, we get up at five, we get in a taxi at six, we're at the airport for half six, we walk into the airport, we look at the screen, oh, that's weird, the flight's not half nine, it's ten o'clock. Then I get out the boarding pass, we're about to check in, 12.55. <laughs> this is 6.30. Six and a half hours in Faro Airport. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, my wife and son were incredibly gracious. I have to, I was more annoyed because I'm a planner. I was so frustrated. I couldn't believe. I don't know how I'd done it. Do you know how I'd done it? I'd, I mean, I had checked three times because that's what planners do. We check and we double check and we triple check. And, and, and I'd been obviously looking at the flight going out, which was at half nine, and hadn't noticed that the one coming back was 12.55. And I was so annoyed and I was so frustrated. And I made the mistake because I read the whole thing wrong. It wasn't intentional. I didn't mean it. I was doing my best. I just read it wrong. I came to a decision, a judgment, a conclusion that I thought was right. In my head, I was convinced it was right, but I had read it wrong. I had misread the information. How often do we do that in other areas of life? We jump to conclusions. We read something wrong. We catch a snippet of a situation. We hear a little bit of something. Somebody says something about someone. We jump to assumptions and we jump to conclusions and we decide, well, that means they're like this and that means that happened. And we realize later on sometimes that we had read it wrong. We had read the whole thing wrong. We have one interaction with someone and they come across in a way that we think, oh, I don't really like them. And we write them off and we don't want to spend time. But we read it wrong because we have no idea what's going on in their lives. Years ago, I, I read a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by a guy called Stephen Covey, and there was a story in that book that really impacted me and got me thinking about this thing of reading it wrong. He says this in the book. He says, I was riding on a subway one Sunday morning in New York. People were sitting quietly reading papers or resting with their eyes closed. It was a peaceful scene. Then a man and his children entered the subway car. The man sat next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to his children are yelling, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. 
I couldn't believe he could be so insensitive. Eventually, with what I felt was unusual patience, I turned and said, Sir, your children are disturbing people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if he saw the situation for the first time. Oh, you're right, he said softly. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to do. And I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Suddenly I saw things very differently, he said. And because I saw differently, I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I don't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with compassion. Your wife just died. I'm so sorry. What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. He jumped to the wrong conclusions because he had read the whole thing wrong. He didn't have all the information. He made assumptions that weren't true. And in a moment he moved from offence and anger and frustration to compassion and kindness and care. And today I want us to think about how we judge people and how we react to situations. And perhaps sometimes we jump to conclusions and we make assumptions simply because we have read the whole thing wrong. And those things can cause us to put up walls between ourselves and other people. Things that offend us. Jesus said this in Luke 17. He was talking to his disciples. He says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. The King James Version says this. Then he said to his disciples, it is impossible but that offenses will come. He's saying it is impossible to go through life without being offended. All of us have been offended. All of us have had things do, people do things that have hurt us, that have hurt our feelings, that have wounded us. It is impossible, Jesus says, to go through life without being offended. But we seem to live in a culture which everyone's offended right now. Everybody's looking for reasons to be offended. It's cancel culture. It's the outrage culture. It's the age of rage, politics, wars, church. Every, every, it seems to be getting worse. Everyone's offended for things all the time. Even things that have nothing to do with them. They love to wade into other people's offenses. They're offended for other people. Sometimes they're even more offended for other people than the people are for themselves. Everybody's a victim. Everybody is always somebody else to blame for their problems and everything that's wrong in their life. It's got to the stage where that if you're not outraged about something, people will be outraged that you're not outraged. It's if people are looking for reasons to be offended. Vegans, for example. Anybody here a vegan? <laughs> you must be new. I can't see you down there, but you must be new. Well, there's an extra seat next week. Um, You know, vegans recently complained about the common use of what they called meat-based metaphors, such as bringing home the bacon or putting all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> Meanwhile, animal rights activists decided that they should no longer use violent expressions, such as flogging a dead horse or killing two birds with one stone. PETA, a wonderful organization who I support monthly, uh, suggests that... Bringing home the bagels instead of bringing home the bacon is better. And instead of putting all your eggs in one basket, why not put all your berries in one bowl? I have to say, as somebody who loves berries, I found that offensive. 
Why should those berries be trapped in a round prison? They deserve to be free, those berries. I am offended by that. It's ridiculous. Hopefully that seems as ridiculous to you. But here's the thing. Things that offend me, you will find ridiculous. And things that offend you, I'll go, really? That annoyed you? Because we all have triggers. I have certain triggers in my life that will offend me. And they will be different to yours. And so when somebody triggers me and you see me getting offended, you're like, chill out, Craig. And when somebody triggers you and you get offended, I'd be like, come on, like that was not. Because there's certain things that have happened in our history. There's certain things that people have done in our past that have wounded us and our lives have been shaped by those wounds. And when somebody else does something like that or even resembles that or even looks like that person, we get triggered and those things offend us. All of our things that offend us are very different. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably been offended. Because we're all different. You've different beliefs. I mean, we all believe in Jesus Christ. We all, but in terms of life, we're all different. We have different backgrounds. Church is the only organization, the only thing in the world where you get a bunch of people of all ages, all backgrounds gathered together with one purpose to worship Jesus. But we're not all the same. And we will get offended. You know, I've had people offended because their little son or daughter wasn't allowed to play the recorder or triangle in church once. Not in this church. They know better. (laughs) I've had people offended because a youth leader might have insinuated that their children had demons. She called them legion. Forgot to ask how your operation on your bunions went last week and you're offended. Didn't express enough appreciation. Looked at you the wrong way. Had the audacity to hold an opinion that you didn't agree with. Asked you to serve every two months in crash because you have 14 babies in there that everybody else is looking after. And you can't believe I would ask you to do that. I mean, I've offended a decent number of people in the time. You can probably imagine. I've had emails, phone calls, handwritten letters, blog posts, Facebook pages criticize me. That's just the trustees in this church, by the way. But we live in an age of rage. Everybody's offended. Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the last days. He says there'll be wars, rumors of wars. There'll be famine, there'll be disaster. But then he says this in Matthew 24, 10. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and they will hate one another. So there's a cycle. You are offended, you betray someone, and then you hate them. The word for offense here in the original Greek is scandalon, and it has two meanings. The first one is a stumbling block. It's just something that you trip over. Offense trips us over. The second meaning is a trigger on a trap or a snare where you place the bait, a bit like on a mouse trap. You place the cheese on, and, and, and when the animal comes along, they, 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 they go to, for the bait and they get caught and they get trapped and they get imprisoned. That's what scandal on, the bait on the scandal on, lures the prey and then it's trapped. That's what offense is like. In fact, John Bevere, a Christian author who I love, wrote a book a number of years ago called The Bait of Satan. Because what he has seen is this, that, that offense is the bait that Satan uses to bring Christians into disunity and disruption and bondage and sadness and discouragement and division and oppression. I have seen more friendships, offices, factories, marriages and churches ruined by people taking offence that didn't need to be taken. A few weeks ago, I preached on the wheat and the weeds. And remember I said this, 
that when God plants wheat, the enemy sneaks in during the night and plants weeds. When God is at work in a place, the enemy subtly sneaks in and he starts to plant weeds. And I think one of the weeds that he plants is offense. And I, this isn't happening right now, so I'm not addressing the situation that's happening right now. But what I am is preempting because I believe God is at work among us. And so I want you to be prepared that as God is at work among us, there will be an opportunity for some of you to be offended in the next wee while. And I want you to remember this message today and go, Craig talked about that. That's just a weed. The enemy is bringing in weeds. I know that might have hurt me. I know that might have hurt my feelings. But I see it for, for what it is. That is just a weed trying to disrupt the work of the Lord in my life. The enemy's goal is destruction. His strategy is division. And his tactic is offense. He's used it for millennia because he knows it's effective. Because people with hurt feelings usually overreact. And I'm one of them. And so are you. People hurt our feelings. And when our feelings are hurt, we respond and we react in ways that are not our best way of dealing with things. If the enemy can get you offended, he can take you out of action, he can divide the church, and he can conquer. For some people, the reason it's so hard for them to stay happy is because they're so easily offended. So today we're going to think about how we can live unoffended. Some of you are probably offended right now that I think you might be offended. And this is for you. But here's the first thing I want to say. Not all offenses are equal. I want to be really clear here because some of the stuff I've read over the last few days, some of the stuff I've listened to, seem to kind of go just, no matter what anyone does against you, just let it go, be friends with them, keep on good, just let it go, keep on friends with them, don't be offended by anything, just let people treat you however they want. I want to say to you there's a difference between offense and blatant sin. When I talk about somebody offending you, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about adultery. Or somebody deliberately harming somebody else. You never hear somebody say, my husband cheated on me, I'm so offended. You say, I'm so heartbroken. You never see somebody say, they attacked me with a stick, I'm so offended. No, I'm so sore, I'm so wounded. Nor am I talking about excusing or overlooking ongoing bad behavior from someone. What I'm talking about is this. The things that people say and do that maybe we didn't like we didn't agree with, they disappointed us in some way, or they didn't meet our expectations. Because most of the time we get offended when somebody hasn't met the expectations that we set for them. And we choose to dwell on what they did, and we become offended. And as I said a minute ago, different people are offended by different things. What offends you will not offend me. I had somebody wrote me a, an email a few weeks ago. <laughs> I got offended. I'd love to tell you I didn't, but it did. Somebody wrote me an email a few weeks ago, and the gist of the email was this. Craig, I've been listening to you for a few weeks, and I've been reading some of your stuff, and can I just say that I love it? But if you would take out all your stories and all your illustrations and basically anything about you and your personality, uh, your sermons could be 10 minutes, and they'd be much better. <laughs> I was fuming. I didn't even know this one. She might be listening this morning. I was fuming. 
I was furious. I mean, it had been a rough day. I'd been working on a lot of stuff. I'd been working since early that morning something, and I just, I didn't respond in a godly way. No, I didn't, like, you know, send out hit men or anything. I just, I just cut her, deleted her from my mailing list, deleted her from everything I ever had, and uh, told her how I felt. Um, I'm just being honest with you. I was offended, because that wound, now, if somebody said to you about something like that, you might just go, it doesn't bother me. For some of you, if I said Glenavon are the worst team in the world, you know, it would be hard to get offended by the truth. Um, You know, some of you just, but the things that offend me will not offend you. But she touched a nerve because this is important to me. And I felt that it was diminishing me, something I work hard on. And I don't even know this woman. I've never met her in my life. How can I allow somebody I've never seen, I don't know, Somebody on the end of an email to cause me to get really annoyed. Like, how stupid is that? And yet she offended me. I don't know if she intentionally did. She probably did. I don't think she did. But it offended me. I'm just being wrong. Like, I'm just trying to be real with you. The people up here are not beyond having to deal with this stuff. I was offended deeply. And then I thought, how stupid is this? How ridiculous is this? The reality is this, living offended is such a huge waste of time and energy and it deeply impacts other areas of our life. Offense gets in, but it seeps out. It leaks. And the offense about one thing, one person, doesn't stay. If we allow that thing to get inside us, it starts to leak out into our other relationships and our other interactions and it can impact other areas of our life. It contaminates, it corrupts, it distorts, and it infects. Because I have been offended in the past, and I have seen this happen. A number of years ago, in a different time, in a different place, in a different church, I went into a meeting with a certain set of expectations about how the meeting was going to go. And it didn't go that way. And I was, felt deeply offended, I felt hurt, I felt dishonored. And I remember coming home to Becky and she said, how'd the meeting go? And I told her what had happened. And that should have been the end of it. But I allowed that offense to take root in my heart. I dwelt on it. And I woke up the next morning and I dwelt on it. And for days I thought about it. You know what it says in Hebrews 12? It says this. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all people. Looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. What the writer of the Hebrews is saying this, that when you allow offense, that offense, when you let it, simmer and fester in your life it actually produces a root we would call that even a stronghold of bitterness and that root of bitterness then begins to start to produce fruit of bitterness fruit of resentment and I had allowed a root of bitterness to come into my life and something shifted in those weeks ahead And I began to distance myself from those people. I felt resentment towards them. 
I was still fine with them. I was in relationship with them. I didn't get angry with them. But, but something within my soul began to get turned. And can I say to you, offense is exhausting. Unforgiveness is exhausting. That's, I think, why God is so strong on it. Because the human body was not created by him to contain the poison of unforgiveness. And when we walk around with that toxin and that contamination in our souls, here's what it does. It begins to spread and it begins to grow. And I look back at that time, that was two years probably before we left that place, and something shifted in me that couldn't really be undone because I'd allowed a root of bitterness to come into my heart. And here's what I've also found then. That leaks into things many years later. Even though I've dealt with it, even though the pain of that is gone, when people in a similar position do anything that triggers what happened there, I begin to think, oh, here we go again. Some of you will know that from relationships. Somebody hurt you in the past. Somebody said something. You're in a new relationship. They're a different person. They treat you much better. And they do one thing that reminds you of the guy 10 years ago or the girl 10 years ago. And you clam up and you overreact and you pull back. And it's nothing to do with them. You see, what offense does, it makes us relate to people based on our past, not on who they are. It keeps us living back here and not in the present and the future that God is leading us into. It can be something even more simple, especially in our age of social media, where everybody feels the need to write everything they've ever thought on Facebook. You know, if you ever read a Facebook post and you go, I want to get, I'll show them. They're clearly wrong. I want to give them a piece of my mind. And the thing is, you don't have a whole lot of mind to give them away. Like, you want to keep the mind that you've got at that point. But technology gives us multiple reasons to be offended every single day. Thank the Lord for the delete button. There's times late at night where I've read about it, but like, oh, I'm so sick of that. So quite often another minister. And I would be like, oh, I want to, t- I want to show this liberal minister. I want to show them. I, I'll start, I'll be like, oh, why don't you do it in the morning? And you wake up in the morning and say, praise you, Lord, that I did not write that last night. I'm glad you're all so much more holy than I am. Here's the thing that happens. Our world will shrink to the size of our wounds if we don't deal with them. And many people are living small lives because their world has shrank to the size of their wounds. You see, big people don't carry around offense. You think of the people in the world, the peop- you know those people that you've met in your life that just radiate Jesus? They just love the Lord. Are they bitter people? Are they angry people? No. Like imagine, um, just for example, imagine if Mother Teresa just went around complaining about everybody had hurt her in the past. I don't think she would have been the woman that was able to make the difference in Calcutta. The people who make the greatest impact in life don't have time to dwell on every hurtful thing that's ever been done to them. You know who does? People who aren't doing anything for God. People who have too much time on their hands have the time to dream up all sorts of scenarios that don't even exist. And so if you're finding yourself that you're constantly offended, maybe you actually just need to get busy serving Jesus. The offense has probably pulled you away from serving Jesus because when we're offended, where do we focus? On ourselves. I have never met somebody 
who is making a great difference in this world for Christ, who is offended, who is bitter, who is angry, who is resentful, ever in my life. I'm 47 years old. I've been a Christian for 32 years, and I've never met a resentful person who's making a difference in the world because they just don't let it stick. Proverbs 18 says this. A person offended is more yielding than unyielding in a strong city. In other words, a person who's offended puts up walls. They don't let other people in. In fact, they will let people in, but only the people who agree with them. Because isn't that what we do when we're offended? We go to somebody else and want to get them on our side. And we go to someone else and we tell them our victim story. And we go to someone else and we tell them our version of events which always paints us much better than what happened and always paints the other person much worse than what happened. And we want to gather people around us who will be offended for us and will be offended with us and that causes division and it causes walls to come up and it brings devastation to communities and churches and families. And the greatest opportunity comes the more we love someone. Like if a randomer in the street comes up and says something to me, I don't care. If somebody I care about says something to me, it matters. Because their opinion matters to me. The reality of life is this. You will be given reasons to be offended. Unless you lock yourself up in your house for every day, you will be offended. And then the postman or the Amazon delivery man will probably offend you. Because humans are humans and humans do human things. And as Christians, we are supposed to have a thick skin and a soft heart. But many of us have thin skin and a hard heart. But I want to give you some news today. You don't have to live offended. You don't have to live offended. Because offence is given doesn't mean it has to be taken. Because when somebody offends you, it's rarely something physical. It's words. And words you attach feeling to and you attach meaning to. And none of those are tangible things. So you have a choice what you attach to that. Because if I were to throw a ball to you, you have a choice about whether you catch it. But not only that, you might catch it, but you have a choice about whether you take it home and stare at it for the next four days. And some people will throw a fence at us and we go, oh, I can't stand them. Oh, they did this because of this. I'm not going to speak out. How can I get back at them? You know what you could have done with that ball? Caught it, thrown it away. And that's what Jesus teaches us to do. Look at Matthew 10, 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, Leave that hometown and shake the dust off your feet. I love the beach, and most of you will know that. Port Rush, Port Stewart, Portugal, Port Adown. I, 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 it's a sand pit, but I, I love the beach. I, I, I love, every morning on holidays, while Becky and Elijah were sleeping, I would get up early and, and I'd go to the beach. Like most mornings, some mornings I'd walk 10k, 12k. I just, I love just walking on the beach. I listen to music. I pray. It's just my happy place. I love the beach. I love the sand. I love the oceans. I love the waves. I just sometimes during lockdown back in the day, or, or just when I, things were getting too much and I felt claustrophobic, I would just drive to Newcastle for an hour and just sit on the beach outside the sleeve dollar and then drive home again. I just, it's, it's where I find peace. It's where I, I, I sense God's presence. Here's the thing I don't like about the beach. The sand coming home with you. Like, I'm going I'm to do something right now. Watch. Did you see that? I didn't ask that sand to come home. It didn't even buy a ticket. 
I'm going to have to take them both off or I'll look upside at in the video. Um, they're clean, folks. I've shored, they're clean. Okay, better than I can say about some of you. Um, don't be offended. I didn't mean you, I meant the person beside you. Um, but sand gets everywhere. Have you discovered that? Three weeks later, you come home from holidays and you open a jumper and sand falls out of it. Gets in your iPod, gets in your clothes, gets everywhere. Like, Elijah gets in the shower when we get home. The sand's all in the shower. He gets into bed 20 minutes later. I can't sleep. My bed's covered in sand. How did that get there? It gets everywhere. Why? Because it attaches itself to you. Now, the sand in Portugal is now in Craigavon. I didn't invite it to come home with me. But sand attaches itself. And now we read this statement from Jesus in the light of that. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust, shake the sand off your feet. This would have been a familiar thing because rabbis and religious leaders, whenever they went into Gentile territory and they came back into Israel, they didn't want to carry the Gentile dust and so they would shake the Gentile dust off their feet. And here's what Jesus is saying here. When you go out into the world, some people will love you, some people will accept you, some people will receive you, but others will reject you, others will betray you, others will offend you. And when those people who accept you and honour you do that, you bless them. When they reject you and betray you, he doesn't say curse them. He says just shake the sand off your feet and keep moving. Shake the sand off your feet and keep moving. Because here's what will happen if you don't. You will carry that sand into places that it was never meant to be. And you will go to other places and you will go into other relationships and things will start breaking down and there will be offences, but it will have nothing to do with that place or that relationship or that church or that person. Do you know what it will be to do? The sand that you have carried with you. You're carrying sand from a past hurt, from a past offence, from a past relationship, from a past church, and you come into a new situation and you wonder why something triggers you. It has nothing to do with here. It is the sand that you have carried from here, that you've carried it with you. It has nothing to do with this, but it is with you still. And Jesus says, here's what you do. You shake it off your feet. You shake it off your feet. You do not carry hurts from the past into your present because they will forfeit your future. They will contaminate your heart. They will make you never flourish the way he intended you to flourish. Our little boy loves Nutella. Nutella with everything. Nutella with breakfast, Nutella with lunch. He just loves Nutella. And he'll have Nutella, it'll be all around here, it'll be on his hands. He'll go, Daddy, give me a hug. And I'll be like, do not move another step. Stop right there. Stop. It's summertime. Uh, stop. Do not move because the sticky, chocolatey stuff on him will get all over me. And it's a bit like that. Offense is a bit like that. It sticks to us and we move and we want to embrace people and we're trapped. But what is on our hands and what is on our heart starts to stick in places that it was never meant to be. And those things get contaminated. We carry things around us and it affects and it infects. It pollutes our relationships. It contaminates our churches. And it distorts how we see other people. When we carry offence from the past, it begins to affect how I see 
other people and relationships today. Elijah loves asking me about the olden days, and I was telling him about what we had to do with cameras recently. Now, some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about here. How many of you remember before you went on holidays, you used to have to go and buy films for cameras? Remember those old prehistoric things? Like 24, 36 exposures, and you went to Connors or wherever it was, and you, you bought your film, and you took your pictures, and you couldn't tell. Like you couldn't take 46 selfies and delete 45 of them. Like, whatever you took, you took, and that was it. And you never knew how it was going to come out. And because you were paying for each picture, you took them wisely and you took them carefully. And if there was one that was, you know, you were taking a family photo and you thought maybe somebody had blinked or their smile wasn't right or if Becky was looking out there, as uh, she tends to, like, all our wedding photos, Becky's looking somewhere else. Maybe that's a sign that she just couldn't face me. Um, but, but, but you keep, you say, go, I'll take one more, I'll take one more. And sometimes then when you, what you'd do is you'd come home, you'd put them in an envelope, you'd sign your name on it, you'd bring it into the chemist, you'd hand it across, not trying not to make eye contact because you can't quite remember what's on it. And actually when you came home, there was 21 photos and you'd take 24 before you could leave it in. And so that's why younger people, your parents have all sorts of random photographs that have nothing to do with it. They were trying to just use up the last three pictures. Okay? And you hand it into a complete stranger and you're trusting them to look at your two weeks holidays in Magaluf. And you can't remember what that is. And then three days later, it's so exciting, you go to get them back. Or four days later, you went back to the chemist. And you got them. And you got into the car, and you didn't even wait till you got home. You got into the car, and you put them all in, and you started. And you're like, wow. But here's what would happen sometimes. There would be this glare. Do you ever get that? That, that kind of, that light shining, that glare from the corner looked like an angel, looked like a Shekinah glory coming in. But all it meant is that there was a bit of dirt on the lens. And the dirt on the lens affected every picture you took because the contamination on the lens affected how the camera saw everything. And that's what happens with us. When we allow offense into our lives, it becomes that bit of dust on the lens and it affects how we see everything. I had a situation a few years ago here where something happened and I began to attach meaning to it based on what had happened seven years before that. And I came to all sorts of conclusions, and I perceived it, not based on what was going on, but because I had taken dust from seven years ago, and it was on the lens. And it was the complete opposite actually turned out here. But it it stirred up emotions in me. That's what happens when we carry offence. That critical spirit is a bit of dust. It affects how you see everything. That negativity is a bit of dust. That offense and negativity and critical spirit affects and infects every part of your life. And it can hold you back from embracing all God wants you to be. I love what one pastor, I'm coming into land here, one pastor, Craig Rochelle, said. He says, your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended by small things. Your life is too short and your smalling is too great. Your calling is too great to live offended by small things. You know, sometimes I'll be pastoring with people and ministering to people and they'll talk about a hurt that happened. And the way they're talking about it, I think it happened last week. And I'll say, oh, when did this happen? And they'll say, six years ago, 17 years ago. But in their hearts, it's still just as present today and it carries as much pain today as it did back then. 
And often what you find is this, offended people end up being hurt everywhere they go because they're carrying the wound with them, because their world has shrunk to the size of their wound. They keep changing jobs, changing churches, changing relationships, changing marriages, changing everything, trying to find the perfect place or the perfect people or the perfect person that won't hurt them. And then they leave because those people were offensive when the only common denominator is them and the wounds that they won't deal with. It's a horrible way to live, especially when you don't need to live that way. You can choose not to hold on to an offense. An offense can be given, but it doesn't have to be taken. Let's finish it. Proverbs 19. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. The word, over, word overlook in the Hebrew simply means to rise above or pass over. Imagine you're jogging around the lakes. All right, I've lost some of you already. Imagine you're walking around the lakes and uh, a little scrappy dog runs in front of you. You just hop over it. You just hop around it. That's what this is saying to do with a fence. Don't nurture it. Don't take it home. Don't grow it into a big dog. Just hop over it. Overlook it. Rise above it. That's what the Bible says we should do with offenses. Don't allow it to trip you up. Rise above it. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. The enemy will set bait to try and trap you. Rise above it because your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. People will hurt your feelings. They will overlook you. They will unfollow you on Facebook. You will like their posts and they will never like your posts. Rise above it. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. You will be unappreciated and misunderstood. Rise above it. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. When you send someone a text message and you know they've read it because the two little arrows come up on WhatsApp and they don't get back to you for three days, don't get offended and start cursing them because your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. When somebody has the audacity to disagree with you or hold an opinion that is different to yours, do not allow that to bring offense into that relationship because your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. And finally, here's the other thing to remember. Some people will just be having a really bad day. And the thing that they do that offends you is nothing to do with you. You take it personal, and it wasn't personal. Now, there's times when it is personal, and that's a whole different matter. That's where Jesus said, you know what, shake off the dust and walk away. When there's people here constantly, personally making it their mission to offend you, you remove them from your life. I do not want toxic people in my life. I just choose not to have them there. I delete them. I block them. I send the boys around to sort them out. I do not want them. That was a joke, by the way. Um, I do not want them in my life. But there's people who genuinely, when they offend you, it is not one thing to do with you. It is to do with something else that has nothing to do with you. You just happen to be there. 
It's about how they're feeling about themselves. It's because their boyfriend or their girlfriend just dumped them. It's because they've just had a horrible day in work. It's just that they've just had a message received. It's about the test results that they've just got back. It's about the fear or anxiety they're feeling about something to do with their son or daughter. It's about the sadness they're experiencing. It's about the pain of losing a loved one six months ago that you think they've moved on, but they actually haven't. You think it's about you when it's nothing to do with you. You just happen to be there and hurt people, hurt other people. It's probably not personal unless you take it personally. But here's the thing to remember. Every single one of us have done things in our lives that if we were to be judged by those five minutes of madness, it wouldn't be pretty. We've all had those five minutes of madness. Some of you are like five minutes, five months. But haven't we? We have all had those five minutes that we look back and we go, that is a page or a chapter from my book that I never want anyone to read. We were going in for dinner the other night in the hotel and the guy at the door, the the guy who worked there, was bantering with Elijah. And just joking with him and did it. And Elijah was responding. But, and we, we sat down and um, he turned to me and he said, Daddy, oh, I'm so frustrated. And I said, what? He said, I've just thought of so many better things I could have said back to him there. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, I've just thought of like clever things and better things and smarter and funnier things that I could have said back there. And he was really, and I just said, Elijah, that never changes the whole way through life. Sure it doesn't. Don't we all have those conversations and we walk away and we go, oh, I could have said something so much funnier, so much better, so much gentler, so much kinder, so much more. Why did I say that? I just said, Elijah, that will never change. So don't get frustrated. And I can think of so many times that I have said things that I regret and so can you. Because none of us are perfect and we say stupid things. The Bible says this, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We make allowance for other people's faults. Why? Because they are human, just like you. They say dumb things, just like you. They overreact, just like you. They have bad days, just like you. They get exhausted, just like you. They lash out, just like you. They get hurt feelings, just like you. So why not show a little bit of grace? Instead of jumping to the worst conclusion, why not choose to believe the best? The Bible says, forgive others as you have been forgiven. And how much have I been forgiven? A lot. How often have I been forgiven? Every day. Just as hurt people hurt other people, forgiven people forgive other people. And so today I just want us to make the decision. I will not allow offence to form a bitter root in my heart. And where that's there, I will root it out. It takes a decision and a choice to move on. And we all have those people who have hurt us 
and we believe that they deserve our unforgiveness. And we believe that we are letting them off the hook if we don't hold a grudge against them. But here's the thing. They are getting on with their life and they don't think about you for one second. You think you're punishing them? They haven't thought about you in three years. But you have put yourself in a prison and the only one who has the key is you. And I believe the Lord is saying, in this season, I want my people to be free from contamination. And I think that's in many areas of life. But that was the little thing that he kept saying to me. I want my people to be free from contamination in their hearts. The Bible says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. I want to see God. I want to see God in my life, my family, this church, this community. I want to see God in my son. I want to see God in my ministry. I want to see God in all that I do. But I cannot see God at work if my heart is contaminated with other things. And I really believe that the word of the Lord for us right now is, I am doing something among you. I am digging deep. I am going beyond the surface and the superficial in your life. But I want you to root out the contaminants. I want you to go deeper and not just bandage over wounds. I want you to heal wounds. I want you to root out any bitterness, any offense. And you know what? It doesn't mean going back to the person and telling them. It doesn't mean hugging them. It doesn't, it's it's actually you. You just need to do it. They can't root it out for you. You need to root out the offense in your life. And I promise you it will bring a freedom and a joy and a peace and an energy that you have never experienced. Because offense is exhausting, and our souls were not meant to carry those things. And you know what we do? You think, well, I can't let them away with it. No, you can't. Do you know what you're doing? You're saying, Jesus, I trust you with this. I trust that your judgment and your justice and your sense of right is even better than mine. And so you will deal with it but I don't want to carry this. And I I, I believe today, some of us actually need to say over and over again, Jesus, I trust you with this. I have been carrying this and I am so tired of it. Lord, would you give me a tough mind and a tender heart? Because I do not want this heart to be polluted or contaminated. I want to have a pure heart so that I can see you at work in every area of my life.